We are in a series, and the series is, the name of it is one of the more unique names we've come up with. Uh, we didn't come up with it. We got it from a church called Life Church, um, but it was a great name, and so we stole it because we got that spiritual gift. Um, it's called Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. And the reason that we started it is because we've noticed patterns here at the Recovery House of Worship, how people wreck their lives how people absolutely go into a moral ditch and ruin their lives, ruin their children, ruin their marriages, ruin their health, ruin their future, ruin their careers, ruin their jobs, ruin their finances. And we just said enough is enough. And so we decided to start this series. Now, uh, what we said is that there are several philosophies, there's two at least, different kinds of philosophies that Christians fall into. And the first philosophy, we said, is the, the pharisaical philosophy, the law abider. That person creates their own rules and then asks themselves, how far can they get to the very edge of their own personal laws without falling off? You see, so this is uh, when the young person comes into my office and says, well, Pastor Ed, where in the Bible does it say not to kiss or not to, can we hold hands? Can we be in my room with the door closed? Can we watch a rated R movie? Can we? And what their question isn't, how close can I get to the Lord? It's how close can I get to the ledge? This is a terrible philosophy of life. And it happens with adults, with their finances. You know, how, how badly, how, how irresponsible can I be with my finances and still ask God to bless me with my finances? How irresponsible can I be with my marriage and still ask God to bless my marriage? How irresponsible can I be with, with my faith? You see, we, we, we move all the way to the edge and we said that this philosophy of life will simply not do. So we said, rather than living a life of a Pharisee, rather than creating laws and just trying to obey them, what we said is that in this series, we want you to grow not to see how close you can get with the ledge, but how close you can get to the Lord. And that Christ would be, that you would, you would ask yourself the question, not how close can I get to um, sin, but how close can I get to my Savior? Will this honor Christ? Will this be God-honoring? Hey, it's not sin. It's not, I haven't broken any laws, but it's not, it's not honoring Jesus. I know my heart. I know. And so that's what we've done. And so basically the series is one of being able to evaluate your life before you devastate your life. And we said it like this. We said that we want you to evaluate before you devastate. Right? Because there's some things that are easier 
they're easier to come back from before you sin than after you sin, right? It's rough to come back from. In terms of a marriage, it's really hard to come back from a marriage once somebody's pregnant and it's not within the marriage. It's super hard to come back from bankruptcy. It's really tough to come back. You get my point, that it's easier to make a decision on this side of the street before the destruction comes rather than on the other side of the street after the devastation has already happened. So we said, we want you to evaluate before you devastate. And we said, we were, we would, and just in case you didn't get that big idea, we said, okay, so here's the ghetto fabulous way of saying what we just said, right, about the law and legend. We said, we want you to check yourself before you wreck yourself, all right? So uh, what we're saying is, is that we don't want you to come to the ledge. We don't want you to fall off. We don't want you to, what we want you to do is we want you to connect with Christ. And that's what we've been saying. So today, we're going to continue. Last week, we looked at adultery. We set the series up in the first week, um, uh, part one. And last week, we looked at adultery, how to have an affair. And we gave you instructions, detailed, in fact, um, on how to have an affair. If you want to listen to that, you can absolutely go to the, um, to the website, uh, www.rhowbk.org. I think it's in your bulletin as well. And you can check that out and share it with your friends. We encourage you to tell your friends. And if they say, oh, no, 12 o'clock is not the service. I can't make it. That's too uh, late in the afternoon. You can tell them, hey, they have a service at 10 a.m. that a ton of people show up to. And you can go there. And um, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're going to look today um, and how to lose your faith. And we, the importance of this, listen to me. Everybody within the sound of my voice will have a crisis of faith. If you're young and you grew up in the church in high school, starts, uh, you know, it could start in junior high and then in high school it grows and then when you get to college, everybody has a crisis of faith at some point in their lives. And the, and the difference between the people who pull through and the people who don't are those who have, um, in, who have looked to Christ as their strength and encouragement and their joy. Um, so today we're going to look at how to see that, how to grow in that. Um, we're going to look at a text. Not only have I never preached on this text, I've never preached in this book. Uh, this is an unbelievably um, difficult book to understand. And so we're going to take our time and we want to be as cautious and we want to, because we don't want, we don't want you to hear what I have to say. Good night. What I have to say is no big deal. But what Christ has to say in his word is of infinite importance. Listen to me. Christianity is not just a set of rules for you to obey so that you could check off your I'm a good person list. Christianity is where we find Christ and find our joy, our satisfaction, our pleasure, and our security. It's in Christ that we find all of those things. And so we'll look at the text. Um, uh, it's in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to explain a little bit uh, about this book before we get into it. It was written by the Apostle John. Interestingly enough, the Apostle John, the Apostle John would not shut up about Jesus. By the way, that's what happens when you see a guy rise from the dead. You tend to talk about it quite a bit. Okay, 
It's not something you can shut up about. It's not, it's not like, oh, isn't that interesting, like a movie or something like that. You talk about it quite a bit. Well, he could, they couldn't stop him from uh, talking about Jesus. And what, he di- what they did was they sentenced him to death to be boiled in oil. Would you believe that did not kill him? That did not kill him. And so, because you can't be sentenced to death for the same crime, double jeopardy in Rome, pretty cool, they sent him away to the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos was a prison island. And so they thought that they could shut him up if they just sent him to Patmos. You know, John is still speaking 2,000 years later. He's still speaking because God inspired the words that he wrote down. So John is writing the book, but in the section that we're in, John is speaking the words of Jesus. He's he's speaking on behalf of Christ. And in fact, he literally says, here are the words of him. These are Jesus's words. These are not my words. These are Jesus's words. And he's going to, so John is writing, but Jesus is speaking. Now, who are they speaking to? They're speaking to, in this particular section, several churches, seven in fact. We're going to look at the church that they're speaking to in Ephesus, the Ephesian church. But what's interesting about this is that it's apocalyptic literature. Now, apocalyptic literature is not like novel or history or poetry or haiku. It's a different type of literature. And so when you read it, there's these, well, apocalyptic images. And so if, for instance, I say to my wife, I say, honey, you look lovely today. Well, that, that's just a statement that doesn't, that doesn't have any, you know, it's just a statement. If I say to my wife, honey, you're as beautiful as the, uh, as the Milky Way galaxy. Well, that's, that's poetic now, right? John is not saying things straight and he's not saying things poetically. He's saying things apocalyptically. And so the people who are his disciples, the people who are in his uh, circle, they'll know what he's talking about. But those who are not will miss the point. I'm saying all this because there's a really easy way to trip up on the book of Revelation. And many people have thought up of whole doctrines that simply are far from God um, uh, in this book. Well, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus, and I'm going to try to explain as much as I can to make this an easy go. But I want you to listen in because your faith hangs into balance. Uh, Why don't we stand at the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read the first six verses. You guys can just jump in in verse uh, 7. Is that okay? All right. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your love, 
You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7, altogether. One, two, three. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. This is God's word. Please have a seat. All of us will come to a point where faith will be tested, faith will be tried, faith will... And it's in those moments, listen to me, you will suffer better if your faith is intact. You will go through hardships within your marriage better if your faith is intact. Notice I'm not saying you won't go through these things. I'm saying if your faith is intact, you will suffer better. You will go through hardships better. So it's important that you listen in because every one of us will go through this. Now, like I said before, there's some apocalypse there's some apocalyptic language here. And so we'll read it and I'll try to navigate us through it so that you can understand what's going on. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? We don't know if the angel of the church is um, an angel that's given to a region or an angel that's given to every individual church or the bishop. Like, you know, he's like literally calling the leader of the church the angel, to the, to the leader of that church. There's so much debate about this, we just can't be dogmatic about it. It could be one of the three. I don't know. Nobody else does either. These are the words of him. Oh, and, and it's the church in Ephesus. So Ephesus is this place. It's a, okay, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a port. It's, it's very successful. They're, they're, they're doing well. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Okay, what was that? Okay, so let's take this a little bit slow. These are the words of him. Him is Jesus here. Somebody say Jesus. 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 John is telling you what Jesus is, is saying to the church in Ephesus. The seven gold, uh, I'm sorry. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars. What are the seven stars? Well, the seven stars are... Uh, angels or messengers of that church. Those, that's what he means when he says seven stars. So they're either the apostles or uh, angels. Again, there's a lot of debate. Nobody really knows. In his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Of this, we're very clear. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches that he's speaking to in the book of Revelation. That's why he has seven churches that he's going to speak about. Now, when he says the seven golden lampstands, he doesn't mean that there's only seven churches in the world. What he's trying to say is that these are the churches that I'm going to speak to. And so he's really speaking to the church universal. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. A couple of things. Every time you see you or your, who do you think of? Who do you think of? Right, okay. 
So John is speaking not to individuals. He's speaking to communities. This is unbelievably important because of what's going to happen in a couple of verses from now. John is not speaking to individuals so much as he's speaking to communities. And I'd like to pause and say thank you for bringing the church into this room. Thank you for being here. Thank you for um, deciding to come together. The building is not the church. You don't go to church. You bring the church because we are the church together. Okay, so John is speaking to communities and he's saying, to, by the way, those communities that he's speaking to have personal application and hopefully I'll be able to get to that. But I need you to just kind of navigate this with me. This is a church I want to be a part of. Don't you? Listen to what Jesus says about this church. I know your deeds your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You see, this church had to deal with much of what our church, Recovery House of Worship, has to deal with. The Recovery House of Worship has to deal with false teachers, false teachers that come within this community, false teachers that you allow into your home through TV, False teachers. I used to actually say the names of false teachers. I don't anymore. And the reason that I don't is because I don't just want you to recognize false teaching on TV. I want you to recognize false teaching in me. I want your devotion to be to Christ. I want you to love Jesus with all your heart. And if you ever see me saying something that's not of Christ, I just want you to just... I want you to turn from that, and I want you to turn from me. Jesus is by far the very most important person in this room. And we need to seek him. But they had, they had all these other teachers. And I don't know what their teachers say, but I know what our teachers say now. Our teachers now, the false teachers, they say it's all about you. They say it's all about being blessed and being health, as if death wasn't in the world as if sickness wasn't in the world, as if poverty wasn't in the world. They say that you'll be blessed, you'll be great, you'll be fine, you'll do well if, if you're in Christ, nothing bad will ever happen to you. You'll never get sick. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never bury your parents. You'll never bury your children. Your, your, your debt will never increase. You'll always, and let me tell you something, Run from those teachers. They're false teachers. They're not giving you the gospel. Here's the gospel. Jesus paid the penalty for your wickedness. And if our Savior died on a bloody cross, what, has, what should his followers expect? If it didn't go well for the Savior, what should you and I expect? We can expect toil and hardship, but we're blessed because we have Christ. And he's our joy. Money's not our security. Jesus is our security. Lovers are not our joy. Christ is our joy. Health is not our satisfaction. Christ is our satisfaction. Beware of false teachers. I love this church because they protected themselves against them. False teachers, that is. You have, pers you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You're blessed. You're blessed. If you serve Christ and it gets really, really hard and yet you keep on going. You're blessed when you serve Christ and the rug gets pulled out from under you and you continue to go forward. 
You're blessed when you serve Jesus and it feels like none of the leaders are, are supporting you. And it feels like you're all, you're blessed if you persevere. This church did that and persevered during difficult times, like difficulties like you and I can't imagine. And then verse four, it's such an encouraging letter up to this point. Remember, this is the words of Jesus. These are the worst words in the entire Bible. When you hear this come out of Jesus' mouth, shudder. Yet, I hold this against you. The most terrible words. Yet, I hold this against you. Christ has been encouraging. He's been talking to this church. And here's what he says. Yet there's something here. There's something missing. He's like, he's like a spouse saying something that the other spouse can't see yet. Yet I hold this against you. What? Oh my. By the way, if this message convicts you, I pray that that's the position of your heart. If this message convicts you, just go. Would you just, would you break me about that? Would you convict me about that? Would you draw me to yourself? Would you keep me from going on to doing what I desire rather, but to desire you? Don't, don't have a hard heart towards Christ if you hear him say, this I hold against you. This, you're going in the wrong direction. This, I was doing this study today, and this is of course a hazard of the profession that I have, is that you get wrecked by texts all the time. And this text wrecked me. Because look, they were doing everything they were supposed to do. They were doing ministry. They were serving. They were giving of themselves. They were persevering. They were generous. They were doing all the things, the outward expressions of Christians. But this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Whoa. There was a love that you and I had it's not there anymore. And boy, you know this if you're a spouse, right? You come to a spouse, you come to that person and you say, I love you. But you're not spending any time with me. And the spouse, if they're defensive, they go, but I'm providing, you know, especially husbands. They go, but I'm providing, I'm giving finances, I'm, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking, what do you mean I'm not, I'm not spending time with you? What do you mean I'm not giving time to the kids? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to support this family. I'm, I'm expending myself. They go, listen to me, listen to me. You've persevered and you've worked hard and all the things that it says in verses 3 and 4 and 5. You've done all that, but... You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten the affections that we've had together. And how many families would, uh, would you not just take a 15% pay cut so that you could have the spouse home earlier? So that they wouldn't have to do all the overtime. So they could. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Do you remember when you first got saved? Remember the joy, the exuberance. Remember your Facebook posts and your conversations. Remember how they looked like you couldn't stop talking about Jesus. People got overwhelmed by your Jesus. 
And now it's not like that anymore. Now you have bills and make sure you make it to the service on time. And, and you do all, all your Christian duties and you dress in your Christian clothing and you connect with your Christian friends. But the love is gone. You've forsaken your first love. There's something that's grabbed a hold of your affection and no spouse ever wants to be in competition with your affections. It's devastating. When Christ says this about us, could he say this about the recovery house of worship? Could he say this about the person sitting in your seat? If, if you have found satisfaction, your satisfaction, when I'm talking about core beliefs, that, you know, I will be happy if, and it's a financial answer, you've forsaken your first love. If you say, you know, I'll, I'll have security when the marriage gets better. You've forsaken your first love. If you say, my beauty is found in how he views me and how she views me, you've forsaken your first love. If you find yourself compromising in sin in order to get something that you want, you've forsaken your first love. If you find yourself looking for something other than Jesus to complete you. Beloved, good things, ministry to complete you. You've forsaken your first love. So I'm going to give you five ways. Five ways of how to lose your first love. Five ways on how to walk away from the faith. And they're not funny. They're convicting. They're rough to go through. So I want you to walk through this, but I don't want you to walk through this with a hard heart. I want you, listen to me, I want you to walk through this with a broken heart and allow Jesus to convict you. Let me tell you the first of the five ways you can lose your faith. First is to neglect your time with God. Just listen. When you press the alarm clock in the morning, be sure that you're shaving time off of your devotional time. Don't take time off of your Facebook time. Good night. You know you, know, you need that. Don't take time off of your watching the news and TV and stuff like that. No, 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 no. When you press the snooze button, make sure that what you're taking time from is your devotional time. Good night. Don't read the Bible. Why would you do that? Read the newspaper instead. Don't pray. Make sure you catch up on all your posts. Whatever you do, avoid time with Jesus. And then kid yourself about your prayer life because you, say, you throw up a couple of prayers on the way to the train station and on the bus and on the drive you listen to worship music. Kid yourself. Neglect your time with God. That's the first way you fall away. The second 
if you don't, and this is so important, oh man, if you miss this one, you won't be able to walk away from your faith, okay? So this is a big one. If you don't like your circumstances, blame God. Make sure that if you're disappointed with your family, if you're disappointed with your finances, if you're disappointed, hey, listen, if you're disappointed with other Christians and the pastor, and, the, and if you're disappointed with, just blame God. You have to do this. If something goes in a way that's different than the way you anticipated it, I need you to make sure that God is the one that you get mad at. Blame him. The third, if you're going to lose your faith, is to hang around bad influences. Now, now this is important because if you don't hang around bad influences, it will take a lot longer for you to fall away from your faith. But if you hang around bad influences, it'll speed up the process. Hang around bad influences. Here's what you do. What I want you to do is I want you to find weak Christians who have the same failings that you do, who haven't conquered them, and I want you to both fall together. Hang around bad influences. Hang around people who want nothing to do with Christ and who belittle you. But hang around with them all the time. Don't hang around with people for the, for the purpose of influencing them to love Jesus like you love Jesus. No, 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 no. That would be a bad idea. I want you to hang out with them for the purpose because they are real fun. While you're hanging around bad influences, what I also need you to do, and this is key, I need you to start dating and eventually marry an unbeliever. This is important. The reason it's important is because when you connect with someone like that, and here's, and here's how you can do it. If you, just, if you find someone, you say, oh, no kidding. You're, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Everybody's going to say they're a Christian. And, the, and watch this. They say that they're a Christian to a larger degree depending on how pretty you are. And so everyone will tell you what you want to hear. Of course I'm a Christian. Don't ever ask the question, oh, really, what ministry do you serve at the church? Because that would actually get to commitment. You don't want to go that far. That's a bad idea. Just go. If they say they're a Christian, just believe them and don't ask any other questions. And when they give you behaviors contrary to one who's devoted to Christ, ignore it. And tell yourself things like, nobody's perfect. So let's review, because this is, this is difficult and it's complex, and I, not, I want you to get this. If you're going to walk away and you're going to wreck your faith, here's the first thing I need you to do. I need you to ne neglect your time with God. Secondly, I need you to, every single circumstance that you don't like, I need you to blame God for it. And then I need you to hang around bad influences. The fourth thing I need you to do is, Give into temptation regularly. With great frequency, please. And here's how I want you to do it, because you know, I, want you to, I don't want you to feel bad as you're sliding down this hellhole. So what I want you to do is I want you to sin in a grievous way. Then I want you to 
pray for forgiveness, and then I want you to do it again. And then when you've done that, pray for forgiveness again. And then I want you to do it again. And I want you to do it enough until your heart gets so hard that prayer is forgotten. That's what I want you to do. Also, I want you to compare yourself. If you're giving into temptation regularly, I want you to compare yourself to other people who are worse than you so you don't feel bad falling into your sin. I also want you to compare yourself to as bad as you used to be so that when you're watching the pornography on the internet, you say, well, at least I'm not going to a whorehouse because it'll make you feel better about the sin you're presently in. If you're yelling at your wife, remind yourself at least you're not hitting her. If you're cursing out your husband, listen, tell yourself that you're not being as bad as you really would, as you really feel. You're holding something back. Hey, if you're giving into temptation, here's, you see, that stinking Holy Spirit will come up and he'll start to bother you. He'll start to convict your conscience. So I need you to learn how to defend yourself against God's conviction. When the Holy Spirit tries to correct you, I got, I got a surefire defense against the Holy Spirit. Here's how you can protect yourself against God. Tell yourself, God knows my heart. And don't ever elaborate on that or be clear about what you're saying when you say that. Just say, God knows my heart and have a fuzzy idea about what that means. Don't ever let it come into your conscience that your heart is simply being reflected in your wicked actions. Don't ever let that thought come in. And then finally, love this world more than you love God. Just, just, I won't be happy until fill in the blank. And make that blank something other than Jesus. You know what? I need a break today and then mean something other than Jesus. Fall into a habit of finding your hopes and desires and dreams caught up in something other than Jesus. When your marriage gets fixed, that's when you'll be happy. You've fallen away. When your children turn from their sin, and they actually come back to Christ, you've fallen away. When, when your life gets to the place that you think it should be in order to be happy, love this world more than you love God. If you're going to fall away, if you're going to wreck your faith, first thing you have to do is neglect your time with God. If you don't like your circumstances, blame God. Hang around bad influences. Give in to temptation often. Love this world more than you love God. If you do any one of those, you will jeopardize your faith. If you do all of those, you will absolutely destroy your faith. Yet, Jesus says, you have lost, you have forsaken, you have forgotten your first love. Now, what's beautiful about this is most people don't warn enemies. They only warn people that they love. 
right? Like if you see an enemy making, like your enemy at work and you see him making a bad mistake on a, on a client or something like that, you're not like, hey, I think that's going to end badly. You know, you're just like, all right, well, better you than me, right? The reason I say that is because Jesus is speaking to a church that he loves. And he's speaking to you. And he's speaking to people that he loves. And he's not saying this so that you get crushed. He's saying this so that you get crushed and run to him. He gives three instructions, Jesus does, on how to turn from this way of wrecking your faith. It's two R's and a D. It's remember, repent, and do. If you find yourself falling in this way, going in this direction, climbing Satan's ladder of unsuccess in falling away from your faith, here's three things that Christ instructs us to do. The first thing he says is consider how far you have fallen. Remember. Remember. Do you remember when you and Jesus were so close that you would cry at the, at the hearing of his name? Do you remember when you had such an intimate time with Christ that you wouldn't want to leave your devotional time? Remember, remember, because if we're going to, listen, what this message is not about is about you trying harder and you doing better and get your act straight because you're going down in the wrong way. The message of this is be broken over your sin and run to the one who can, who can make you whole. He goes, remember. One of the things that I do um, when marriages are really, really super bad um, and, and what I mean by that is they're coming to counsel for me. And they're, they're, man, they've gone through the ringer. One of the first things that I do is I ask, tell me about how you fell in love. Something powerful happens in that moment. They remember. That's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to remember. You say, I never had a moment like that then run to him fast. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I've never known you. I thought I've known you. I'd never known you. I want to know you. Remember. Consider how far you have fallen. And then he says an old-fashioned word. Repent. First, remember. Remember how beautiful Jesus is. Sit down. And reflect on Christ until your hairs stand up and your tears well up with eyes. He's beautiful beyond compare. Remember who Jesus is. Secondly, repent. Say, God, no more excuses. Yeah, but I'm hanging out with those friends because those people at the church, they never reach out. No more excuses. Yeah, but I'm going down in that sin because, God, you're not providing enough finances, so I have to create my own finances. No more excuses. Yeah, but if, you know, he's like the last ship out the dock, and if I don't get with him, I'll never get married, and I'm not getting any younger. No more excuses. 
No more. Repent. Tell Jesus the truth. Tell Jesus, I want his embrace more than I want yours. That's the truth about me. That's why I want to sin, because I believe that his embrace will be more of a delight to me than yours. Tell Jesus the truth. The reason I steal is because I trust those finances more than I trust your ability to provide for me. Tell Jesus the truth. Tell him the truth. Don't hold back. The reason I do ministry is because it makes the people make me feel good when they compliment me. And it's not because of your glory and your wonder and your joy. Tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Repent. And then he says, and do. Remember? Repent and do. I love that. Do you remember what you used to do when you first came to Christ? You couldn't shut up about Christ. You know why? Because when you found the love of your life, you can't be quiet about that. Ever seen a, you ever seen a young lady get engaged? Right? You go up to her and you say, hey, what's going on? She goes, you know, nothing much. You know, what's new? I don't know. Maybe some new things. Right? You know, they can't stop talking about their engagement. And, and here, Jesus gives us this wonderful admonition. First, he says, remember, don't forget me. Remember how much you love me. Remember all I've done for you. Remember how you feel insecure, but your security is found in Christ. The reason you feel insecure is because you're finding your security in something other than Jesus. Remember, remember that I'm your satisfaction. The reason that you're unsatisfied is because you're trying to find your satisfaction in something other than me. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. You'll always lose. Remember your joy. The reason you don't have any joy is because your joy is found in something other than Jesus. And he's saying, remember me. Remember, repent, and do. You, know, you, you remember this, right? Bring your body and your mind will follow, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Go ahead. Tell, act like the first day you found Christ. Tell everyone. Go, share the gospel. Be a fool for Christ's sake. Go and do it. Go do the things you used to do. Share Jesus with others. And he says, if you do not repent, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, super important that you understand what I'm about to say now. Remember what I said earlier about the you and the your here are churches? You see, if you read this literature in a way that's individualistic and not apocalyptic, what you'll do is you'll walk away and saying, you know what? I don't have security in Christ. If I mess up, Jesus is going is to take away my salvation. That's not what this is saying. Because he's speaking to churches. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you don't change, Recovery House of Worship, if you don't change, I'll close your doors. I'll shut down the church. He's speaking to Ephesus. He's saying, if you do not repent, I'll take your lampstand. Remember what the lampstand was? The lampstand was the church. He says, if you don't repent, I'll take away your lampstand. Oh, the thought of that. The thought that other people 
that we reach will not hear the gospel because we were so self-centered and selfish and foolish as to turn and arrogant as to turn from our King Jesus. Remember, repent, do. Remember the beauty of who he is. Repent, no more excuses, agreeing with Christ that he's righteous, he's good, he's our satisfaction, he's our all in all, and do. Do the things we used to do. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. That's okay, bring your body. Your mind will follow. Your affections will follow. But I don't feel like doing it. We're not asking you to feel. We're asking you to do. Your emotions will come. I don't know where you are in your journey. But maybe you've been running from Christ. Maybe you've been gradually going down the slope. Maybe it's not one or two things that you're practicing on that list, but three, four, God forbid, five. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, just shut up. All I want to do is pray and go to Christ. Listen to me. We're going to pray. We're going to agree with God. We're going to say, God, no excuses. There are some of you here, you don't care. You don't care. And I feel so bad for you. Not like in a condescending way, but in a way like I've been there and I know how that road ends. I know what the end of that story is. Repent. Remember. Remember the beauty of Christ. Remember that he not only, listen to me, remember that Jesus didn't just die for your sins, but was glad to die for your sins. Remember that you are worse than you think and that you're loved by Christ more than you can imagine. Remember that salvation and joy, satisfaction and security, it's all found in Jesus, not in the, bottle of your, not in the bottom of your drink or under the sheets of your lover. It's found in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the recovery house of worship. This church, your lampstand here in Brooklyn. I thank you. Lord, would you convict the recovery house of worship? Break my own heart. I confess, oh God, I can get so busy with stuff, good stuff, that I forget my first love. No excuses, God. I need you.
turn my security from being in this church to being in Christ. Turn my fulfillment from having large crowds to being full in the Spirit. Break me over my own sin. Do the same for those that are here. But don't just break us, oh God, turn us around. Put your finger on the actual sin, Lord. Help us to make decisions that would honor Jesus, to walk away from people who are just leading us astray, to walk away from the attitude that blames you for everything that happens in a negative way, to loving this world. Give us specific ideas on what the do is, oh God. Lord, help us to find our joy in Christ, turning away from the temptation that easily besets us. Turn the recovery house of worship around, oh God. Turn me around. Father, as we look to you, turn our hearts to Jesus. Help us to fame, rejoice in, celebrate, rest in, put our security in Christ not trusting finances or bills or not trusting our fears or hopes, but trusting in Christ. Lord, would you give us wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.